Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome back, everybody, to the CX Cast. And welcome back, Joanna de Quintanilla, once again, lending her expertise. How are you today? I am well. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me back. Of course. Now, we are going to go back in time to before Angelina was an analyst, when she was actually a customer, a client of Forrester. It is 2017. She is logging onto her Forrester account. She really needs an example to throw on a slide, any example she could find. Here's one that pops up. It's a case study from Lloyd's. Excellent. Her client was a banking client. She needs to show why they should do these cross-functional teams and how that's going to deliver success in the long run after she hands off the project to them. So, Joanna, that was my first introduction to your research. (laughs) The legacy of the Lloyd's banking case study lives on. Looking back at it, any thoughts on that case study? Did you know that it would be as epic as it was? <laughs> That's very cool to hear that. So yes, I think we felt immediately that we were definitely onto something, something that I had been observing and seeing with other clients for many years. I've been writing about journey centricity for a while now, and we'd seen lots of examples. I think the first report I published on journey centricity was a report that actually talked about the governance models around journey mapping. And we used Eon as an example there. And suddenly we happened on this Lloyds Banking case study, and we realized, okay, these guys are doing things really in a different way, right? And then a couple of others followed Nissan, Mercedes, a number of others, but we realized there's something different going on here. These are companies that are really taking on journey centricity in a big way. This is a organization, enterprise-wide transformation, as you mentioned, cross-functional teams, and there's a boldness in how they're approaching this that is something that is different, that we haven't seen before, right? We've seen a lot of companies trying to do this, dipping their toe, sometimes a little bit shy. You know, they, they don't didn't want to disrupt the status quo too much. And here were a number of companies that were saying, no, if we're going to do this right, we need to be bold about this. And we, re- we need to really embrace this throughout the organization and look at a way to make journey centricity the operational model within our organization and give responsibility throughout the organization beyond the CX team for these customer journeys and find ways of working around them as an organization very cross-functionally. So yes, we definitely had a sense of this is different. The boldness of it is something that we really want to understand further. And so that kicked off sort of a whole stream of research around what are these journey-centric firms doing differently that is leading them to success and to better customer experience results, which, you know, in the end, Lloyd's absolutely achieved. And we've also seen a number of other companies achieve as a result of their focus on customer journeys. So I'm cheating a bit here because I edited a ton of this content. So I kind of, spoiler alert, I know the end. But I want to take a step back first. A, A, time travel, all about that. Love that. We'll do that again. B, um, you're talking about journey centricity at Forrester. We've had Shaw Van Voskirk on here talking about uh, cu- customer obsession. Customer obsession is our watchword at Forrester. Are these the same thing? Are they different? Are we talking different strategies here? Is one an incarnation of the other? Help, help us understand what is journey centricity. 
Absolutely. So the two are, they go hand in hand. They should be a happy or they can be a happy marriage. So you've got customer obsession. That's what you want to achieve, right? You want to make sure that, you know, your organization is focusing obsessively on the customer and delivering hopefully some amazing customer experiences as a result. What journey centricity is, is a way of operationalizing customer obsession. At least that's how I think about it. So customer obsession is your strategy and there's different embodiments of customer obsession that Shar talks about. And what we're looking at with journey centricity is how do you actually operationalize this within your organization? What are the levers that you need to pull in order to make sure that you can deliver on customer obsession? So the two go hand in hand. One flows from the other. One is a deeper look at how do you operationalize this or one way of operationalizing this that we're seeing happening more and more often in organizations. So we do feel that customer journeys are at the center of being able to deliver on customer obsession. Right. And the way, as you've talked about it over the years, the way I've kind of thought about this is how we've seen it occur, to make it easier to understand, how we've seen it occur in some of the banks, I think like Westpac or Commonwealth, Allied Irish did something similar, about the pivot away from products towards the concept of like, we don't sell mortgages. Well, we still sell mortgages, but we don't go to market with mortgages. We go to market to help people own a home because it's orientating more around the customer outcome. Or with Nissan, it's about mobility and uh, we, that one of the case studies you looked at was Nissan breaking down the core. Was it seven journeys or seven core kind of experiences, financing a car, servicing the car, thinking about the outcomes that customers want. I found that a very helpful way to think about we're doing something for the customer and we're going to orientate our organization around delivering that thing. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And you found, we're going to the kind of the, the, the what and the how, there are stages companies go through, aren't mm -hmm. they? And we're generally talking big multi-brand, multi-product, multinational companies, complex organizations, and they go through certain stages as they, as they evolve. So talk us through that, that roadmap of evolution. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in indeed, like, I think what you described this is exactly right. The reason that, you know, and nobody's saying that product isn't important, product remains incredibly important. It's just how do you use journeys to understand how customers go about actually discovering, engaging, asking questions, renewing your product, and really understanding how that fits into their lives. The other thing that's also really important and why we use journeys to look at this is the fact that, you know, a customer journey doesn't care if you belong to the marketing function, IT, risk, product development, or digital. It's a person that is trying to get something done. And so that's why we use journeys. So products remain incredibly important, but we use journeys because we want to understand how customers are really going about doing this. But it's a hard thing to do, right? Because that means that organizations need to think much more horizontally across different functions to understand, for instance, you know, for one single product, how do we actually deliver that product across branch, call center, right? If you're a financial services organization, digital, the website, the app, you know, how does compliance play a role in this? How do you, how does digital, how does the CX team? So we need to bring all of these teams together in order to understand the full journey that the customer is going through. Is journey the right word here? Or are we talking about customer outcomes? Because if we go back to the car example, the outcome for financing a car isn't, hey, I got a loan. It, and it possibly even isn't, hey, I got a car. It's I can take my kids to school or I can go on a business trip. So are we, are we even starting at the wrong place? So journey is what we use as a framework, right? It's, it's sort of your unit of measure that we're using. But yes, ultimately, we're talking about 
the outcome because the definition of a journey is it's a goal that the customer is trying to achieve. It's an outcome that they're trying to achieve. Sometimes we have very tactical outcomes. Sometimes we have very aspirational outcomes. So we are trying to understand how those outcomes indeed that you're talking about are actually achieved. And a journey is nothing more than the steps that a customer takes in order to achieve that goal or that outcome. So both are correct. The journey is the framework that we use to unpack essentially what the customer is going through in order to get to that goal, which sometimes includes lots of steps, can be very complex, can include lots of channels. But yes, absolutely. Ultimately, we want to understand the outcome. I would even say that we want to understand like the true intent the customer has in terms of what they're trying to get done, which indeed, you know, is is not just owning a car, but having a car so that they can, you know, I don't know, go grocery shopping, pick up their kids, right? Or they might be setting up a savings account, ultimately, because they want to have enough money to be able to pay for their children's education, for instance, right? That is the ultimate outcome that I'm trying to get to. And it might not be obvious from day one, but over time, maybe that outcome has become more aspirational. So it's also a moving target. It can change over time. And that's what we're trying to understand. And journey is simply the mechanism. It's the means to the end that we're using to understand that outcome and how it progresses, how it builds over time, how, you know, the different steps that we take to get there. So sorry, I completely derailed you from the stage. (laughs) No, this is an important question. And, And indeed, so, you know, it's important that we understand how these terms also fit together. So what we've seen is that companies tend to adopt this three-phase transformation in order to become journey-centric. And when I say journey-centric, I mean that, you know, companies are focusing not on channels and touch points, but they're really focusing on those outcomes that we were just talking about, those customer journeys. So they typically go through three phases, which, you know, from the first phase being activate So first, we're activating this journey thinking, which is often a big leap for a lot of organizations. We're then connecting further into the organization. And then finally, we are extending even deeper into the ecosystem. So let me just give you a little bit of of an idea of what's happening in each one of these phases. In each one of these phases, our framework looks at six operational levers that you need in order to become journey-centric. So for instance, if we take the activate phase, we're talking about levers like structure, where we often need or companies need an executive sponsor, and they need to identify what we call some initial core or lighthouse journeys that they use as pilots, right? So if we look, if we go back to Lloyd's, Angelina, that you were talking about before, Lloyd's first focused on two journeys as a pilot, right? They first identified two, then over time, they focused on 10 in total. So we need that as a structure, as a framework. The second lever that we look at is people. So we need to often in that activate phase, we are generally working with journey champions, volunteers, anyone we can find within the organization that wants to work with us on those pilots. Over time, that changes, right? We see companies, for instance, in the connect and extend phase, really setting up permanent journey roles, right? Very different to that initial phase. The next lever is the process lever. Often in the beginning, in the activate phase, that requires us to do a lot of customer research and immersion, right? So we need to do a lot of, you know, qualitative and quantitative research with our customers, maybe bring customers into the organization to really help people understand how they're going about interacting with their products and services and what those outcomes, right? Those all important outcomes are that they're trying to achieve. The next lever is the metrics lever. So we need to make sure that we are building success stories with some baseline metrics, right? So 
from a metrics point of view in that initial phase, we're starting with whatever's familiar to the organization to start with. If that's net promoter score or it's CSAT, maybe it's something else, maybe it's completion, right? Let's start there. So we're using familiar metrics to start to build some success stories within the organization. The next lever that's really important, and Angelina, this is one that you write a lot about, is culture. We need to, in that first phase, in the activate phase, look at how are we edu- or are we educating the organization about the differences between journey maps, process maps? What's a mar- what's the difference between a journey map and a marketing funnel, or a journey map and uh, and a process map? So that we are understanding what these things are, you know. And to your to your question earlier, Martin, around journeys, what is a journey? How do we define that? So we need to do do some education from a culture point of view around that. And the final lever that we look at is technology, right? So initially in that first phase, we're typically, you know, many companies are still using PowerPoints, hopefully not Excel, but I do see that still. Maybe they have simple journey mapping software. With the pandemic, most companies started using Mural or Miro or Lucid in order to facilitate, you know, virtual journey mapping workshops. So maybe we're capturing our journeys there and that's where we get started. And so you've got these six levers, structure, people, process, metrics, culture, and technology. And across those three phases, they become more and more sophisticated. And ultimately, in the extend phase, what we're looking at doing there is really making sure that we are across the organization, thinking really in journey terms, we are orchestrating more and more cross-functionally in the organization in order to deliver on these journeys. We're starting to use a lot more predictive and proactive metrics so that we can start to use that data in real time. And we're starting to really think about everything that we do how we prioritize things based on how they fit into and feed those journeys and drive those outcomes for customers. So those are the three phases we typically see companies go through. And of course, the framework helps them sort of to think through how those six levers change over time and become more sophisticated. The reality is that for a lot of companies, there'll be at different stages potentially for different levers, right? So it's not always a neat picture of, oh, you're in this phase for all of your levers. No, in some cases, some companies have a real strength in design, for instance. Maybe they're much further along from a design point of view or much further along from a culture point of view because it's maybe a more naturally customer-obsessed company, for instance, right? So the levers help you and the phases help you think through what are the gaps? How do you accelerate through this massive transformation um, that is becoming journey-centric? And one thing you're getting at is that this isn't necessarily a smooth journey. I mean, when we talk about piloting, we can all squeeze a pilot in, get get that approved. But that jump to the actual transformation requires some sort of a catalyst. Is it is it just the executives are suddenly believing in this and go all in? I mean, sometimes I feel like the story is that the CEO woke up one day and realized we're never going to get there through incremental progress. We need to just start everything over again. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that is a crucial one, of course, right? So that's why we sort of say it Journey centricity does require a boldness. It does require, ideally, top down, somebody sort of saying, indeed, like, we need to do something different, right? Like having, there's an epiphany that needs to happen often at the top that leads companies to want to do things differently. So for sure, that's a hugely important catalyst. We also talk about mind shifts within the organization that lead and that help journey centricity. And that's that's a really important one, not just at the top, but also bottom up. There's mind shifts that need to happen in order to enable a transformation like this. 
But there's also other catalysts. So there are things like CX immersion sessions, right? So bringing people along in some of that qualitative research you're doing or sharing it more, democratizing access to customer insights within the organization, bringing customers in so that, you know, so companies like Tesco have customer Wednesdays, they bring customers in and anyone can sort of interact and ask questions, right? That already, you know, starts to really catalyze that whole transformation. Storytelling, hugely important catalyst. How are we telling these stories internally about the things that customers are struggling with or the things that customers are finding incredibly helpful when we interact with them? How do we share these stories? How do we socialize them within the organization? Sometimes there's these sort of stories that can sort of catalyze a whole movement within an organization. They become sort of these iconic stories that suddenly people understand, ah, that's what it means to be journey-centric. So storytelling is another one of those hugely important catalysts, but also, you know, metrics can also be very important catalysts as well. Actually looking at, for instance, the cost of a journey, measuring the cost of the journey, measuring the employee benefits of journey-centricity. That can be a huge catalyst as well that can sometimes really motivate and, and get buy-in within the organization. We're looking to make things better for customers, but also for employees. How do we tell that more holistic story about the impact that journey centricity has on the customer, but also on employees, on operational efficiencies within the organization? We start to tell a story that really has a lot more body to it, and that can be hugely catalyzing. So one of the examples that has really stuck with me since you did that first presentation was Mercedes-Benz sending sales executives off to, was it Tiffany's or something like that, to go and experience what it what their customers, the, the kind of other experiences luxury customers have. So is, is that the kind of thing that we can learn from? I mean, obviously, not everyone's going to have the budget to send their colleagues to go shop for Tiffany's, but it'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. So it is it is a great example of and and I think there are lower cost ways of doing this. But what Mercedes-Benz did was they invited 80 top performers to spend 2 days at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Las Vegas and they immersed them in that world of their affluent customers. They gave them a budget to spend on brands like Tiffany and they gave them sort of different scenarios. Some of them went in wearing, I don't know, a hoodie for instance and very sort of casual clothes. Others went in sort of you you know, wearing maybe sort of more formal clothing, and they had them really experience what it's like to go into one of those stores and to have an exchange with, with somebody who works in one of those stores to look at how it feels, right? How do people behave in the store? How does it feel? Is it welcoming? Is it not? What are the barriers? And I think that was extremely helpful for them to really sort of step into that context, step into the, you know, imaginatively step into the shoes of that customer so that they could empathize with them. But they also did things like, so they're a great example of a company that's also really used storytelling to bring that to life. So they tell the story of a customer who came into one of their dealerships. And this was a customer who was on her way to her son's hockey match, needed to get there on time, had promised her son that she would be there. Suddenly one of her tires um, blows up or something happens to the tire. She drives into the dealership. She says, I need you to solve my problem as quickly as possible. And so the Mercedes-Benz dealership grabbed the, tech, the, the manager there, grabbed the technician, came back rolling a tire and a rim, which was on display in the showroom to install it on that customer's SUV so she could go off and be on time to her son's match. So 
you know, and, and they left they left the car in the showroom sort of, uh, you know, jacked up on blocks and missing a wheel, which also made for a great story for every single customer who came into the into the dealership that day when they had to explain why that had happened. But that became one of these iconic stories that then also brings to life what it means to be journey centric. So, you know, the customer immersion super important to do that. There are, you know, cheaper ways maybe of, of, of doing that by having somebody listen into a, a, a call, right? Having sharing one snippet of a, an email, a call, the voice of the customer, but then also these stories and the storytelling that goes with it that I think for Mercedes-Benz certainly, I think has had a, a big impact within the organization. In a really complex organization where they're also working with dealerships, they really have to extend into a pretty complex ecosystem to make sure that journey centricity works. I love it. So I know we are, well, we, we could talk about this all day and we're going to run out of time. We're going to get you back to talk about what you're working on because we're working at the moment on a, a road mapping tool for journey centricity. Give us like a spoiler for that and then we'll get you back on for another recording. Sure, no problem. So yeah, so what we wanted to do was we wanted to take this framework with the three phases and the six operational levers, and we wanted to make it as tangible and as concrete as possible for our clients. So what we've done is we've taken the research, we've looked at the six operational levers across the different phases, and we've built a questionnaire, an assessment that can be taken by organizations. And we are looking at how we can take the answers to some of these questions and some of those levers and where companies are at and turn that into a roadmap. So there's an assessment at the heart of it, but the point is not the assessment. The point is turning those responses into an actual roadmap that tells companies where they're at at the different levers, where they're potentially are more advanced in some levers, and what are the things that they need to do in order to advance those levers and also help them with some catalysts or help them avoid some of the pitfalls. And there's different ways of doing this. So we have sort of a light version that we're doing based on the assessment. We have a more involved version that we're doing with some clients, with some workshopping on top of it as well. And we hope to turn that into really a roadmap builder for clients based on the research and based on the framework. Amazing. I look forward to testing that out. Sounds way better than dropping a figure into a presentation like I did six years ago. Wow, time flies. Shana, <laughs> thank you so much for joining for this one. We appreciate it. And we're looking forward to trying out the tool. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And as always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and tune in next time for more CX Insights.